All right. Well, hey, good morning. Um, it is incredibly good to be here with you. Uh, sometimes you probably get the sense that when guest preachers show up at a church and say, man, it's incredibly good to be here with you, they're just saying it, uh, you know, because that's what you're supposed to say. Um, when it is Labor Day weekend and we are outside and it is 67 degrees and it is not humid, um, it is truly it's incredible to be here with you. I also have to say personally, this is the largest group of Jesus followers that I have been with in person uh, for the last six or seven months. And I have been um, obviously journeying with your church really kind of from the beginning or even before the beginning. But uh, Alan and I have jumped on the phone um, at least once a week since March, just trying to see what it looks like to lead through a global pandemic and how do we pursue the mission of God and how do you serve the people of God and just trying to figure that out in the church world like we're all trying to figure it out in every aspect of life. And I just want you to know from a distance as I've interacted with Alan and heard about the ways that you have uh, drawn together as a community, as I've heard about the ways that you have been um, sacrificially generous as a community, uh, the ways that you have been willing to experiment and risk and figure some things out. Um, I have been encouraged from a distance by the way uh, you are responding. And then to be here with you this morning just takes that to a whole other level. And knowing full well, there's a bunch of you that are online right now that you are uh, worshiping from home. Maybe you're worshiping from a long weekend, if people still do such a thing in the COVID world. But some of you may be out of town, and I'm super grateful for the team that is enabling us to connect live on the internet right now. And I really think that God has something for us this morning um, and something that's gonna connect with us if you have been a long-term follower of Jesus or if today really is your first time checking out church and you're like, man, I don't understand. These people seem to be showing up on a somewhat regular basis across the road from my house and it's a nice day. Let's go get a cup of coffee and see what this whole thing is about. I think we're all gonna be able to get something out of this because we're gonna talk about a topic today that in all honesty, uh, it gets a lot of traction in the world. Um, this is something we talk about in quote unquote secular circles, not infrequently, uh, but it's not something that we tend to focus on very much in the church. And that's very much to our detriment. We're going to talk about the idea of being a people pleaser, right? which as soon as I say that, uh, most of us develop a mental picture of what I'm talking about, but just to kind of get us all on the same page um, and to kind of get us thinking about all of the different ways that this um, sometimes addiction to the approval of others impacts our lives, um, I want to share with you a couple of observations from a, a recent article from Psychology Today. They did a top 10 list because everybody post David Letterman does a top 10 list. Uh, top 10 list, you know, signs that you're a people pleaser. I'm not going to share all of it, but there were a couple of things that I thought were incredibly helpful. So um, as we're going through this, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, I would also encourage you not to point to the person right next to you, uh, but just ask yourself how many of these things apply to you. Number one, do you ever pretend to agree with someone even when you don't? Right? Number two, do you feel responsible for how other people feel. That's a little bit of a complicated one. We could spend a little bit more time unpacking that one, but there's a lot of validity to that question. Number three, do you apologize excessively? 
And I don't mean like, cause you, you know, constantly are doing things wrong. I mean, are you apologizing for things that are not your fault? Like you're out to dinner with a group of friends. Again, I'm just imagine that um, you're out to dinner with a group of friends and somebody's meal comes later than everybody else. And you're the person at the table that keeps apologizing as if you went back into the kitchen and were like, Hey, I know let's really mess with him and not let his meal come out. Right. But you keep apologizing for things that are not really your fault. Do you find yourself unable to say no? Are you a bit of a social chameleon there where you need to act like the people around you? That's a form of people pleasing. When you're one person around your church friends, you're one person at work, you're one person around your extended family and you're one person at the gym, that's a form of people pleasing. Do you need praise to feel good about yourself? Do you avoid conflict even when you have been wronged, right? There are all kinds of different ways that this thing works itself into us. Now, I would even say that there are some particular ways that we struggle with people-pleasing as followers of Christ, right? Our our church has a lot of 20-somethings and college students around there, and I can tell you more often than any of us would want to be the case, uh, the number of times college students and 20-somethings feel at times like they are trapped between God's call on their life and mom and dad's approval. I feel like Jesus is leading them in this direction but mom and dad are tugging hard in this direction and usually tugging via, we didn't spend all that money on school so that you could become a missionary, so that you could be a pastor, so that you could go take that job so you could pour into students in a low-income neighborhood, right? There's a lot of conflict that can develop around that. I think all of us understand the sense of conflict that can develop between uh, our boss's expectations or the cultural expectations of our office or workplace versus God's expectations. Right? I, I don't know that I've talked to many followers of Jesus that don't understand the like, no, here's what God wants from me in this situation, but here's what our company's corporate culture wants from me. Here's what my boss wants from me. And those two things are at odds and I'm not quite sure how to navigate that, right? Sometimes it's differing expectations. Your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your extended family have one set of expectations and you know God has a different set of expectations and you know what you should do and in your heart of hearts, your desire is to follow God. But if you're not careful, it ends up being way too easy to just please the people who are right there around you. Right, so this morning's sermon is about more than having the courage to say no when you don't want to go you know, out to dinner. Right? It's about more than having the courage to say, hey, it would make me feel more comfortable if you would put the mask on, thank you very much. It's about having more courage to do more than just say, hey, you know what, I hope it doesn't offend you, but I'm gonna keep the mask on, no offense. I just feel comfortable with that in the COVID world. It's about ultimately whether or not we are going to find what we need to follow God's will for our lives. It's about whether we're going to live boldly for Christ in this world, or if we're going to allow our relationships with Jesus to be governed by the approval of those around us that God has called us to influence, or we're going to allow their influence to transform the way we follow Jesus. So, you know, I think it's one of those topics you're like, yeah, there's a lot in there. You're right. This is worth us talking about as a church. But does the Bible address this at all? 
And you find out that the answer is absolutely and incredibly specifically. Um, this was something that was very close to the Apostle Paul's life. This was something that was very close to his experience and very much a part of his message to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Right? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. So it seems like Paul sees a very strong dichotomy and he seems to be saying that there are really two different ways you can orient your life. You can orient your life in such a way that you are relentlessly focused on winning the approval of other people or you can set your life up in such a way that you are relentlessly focused on the approval of God. Probably not a surprise, even if you're brand new to church, Paul comes down strongly on the side of why don't you make it your ambition to please God, right? And what I'm gonna do this morning is not necessarily spend a lot of time arguing that that's the right approach. I think that's gonna kind of come to us as we move through this. What we're going to do um, is spend the majority of our time talking about why this issue even matters to us as followers of Jesus. But before we do that, we're gonna get a little bit of clarity about what Paul is talking about, okay? So I'm gonna to try to take this idea of being a people pleaser and link it into our discipleship, link it into our spiritual formation, right? And, and the most important thing we need to see about that is this question of whose approval matters most. Are you more motivated by the approval of people or are you more motivated by the approval of God? It is so deeply significant because it reveals our core motivation. Right? And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that as we get a little bit of clarity on what Paul is actually talking about here. Because I, like I said at the beginning, I think all of us have sort of a functional picture of what it looks like to be a people pleaser. Maybe the Psychology Today article brought some other aspects of it to life for you. We all know that tug of war between here's what God wants and here's what other people want. And it's fairly easy to take that and say, okay, I get what Paul's doing. Galatians chapter one, verse 10, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. He's coming down on the side of, look, live for the approval of God. But before we take too simplistic a view of that, let's be reminded that the same Paul that writes Galatians 1.10 also writes 1 Corinthians 10.33. I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that I may be saved. Right? It's worth slowing down and thinking about that for a minute. It's like, well, what is going on? Right? I'm seeking the approval of God, not man. But I definitely seek to please everyone in everything. Right? Is that nothing more than a sign that Paul's heart can be as fickle as our hearts and one day he's living for an audience of one and then... The next day, he's trying to make everybody happy. You know, one of the things you gotta love about Paul is he would probably plead guilty to a little bit of that. Paul was incredibly transparent about his own sin and struggles and just go read Romans 7 and he would say, yeah, I'm probably guilty of that. 
but it's not what he's talking about here in this passage at all, right? I'll go back. I know I've read it a couple times, but I want you to look at the full scope of Galatians 1.10 one more time with me, and then we're going to start to go to work on what he's actually saying in this passage, right? For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Notice he uses a word, that, am I seeking the approval of man? Or am I trying to please man, right? It sounds like he's just kind of switching it up for variation. That's good writing. And he goes on to say, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God, right? But what we need to see is that he's actually after two different ideas, when he uses the verb to please, right? If you were to go back and do the work and get back into the original Greek, you would understand that in that context, he is using uh, the much more common and for lack of a better term, uh, the healthy, the legitimate, the appropriate way in which a person tries to please another. So there's a sense where pleasing people is a good thing. Right? Not to undercut my entire sermon, but to make sure that we have the appropriate balance. Right? My wife just celebrated her birthday. It was my goal to please her in the way that we observed that day. Right? It's a good thing, you know, when in healthy and appropriate ways, children want to please their parents. Right? That's theoretical for my kids, but in theory, it's a good idea. Right? It's good when you want your customer and your client to be pleased with the work you do. Paul's issue is not with that. Right? Paul is not saying, good, you know what? Here, why don't you do this? Why don't you not celebrate your wife's, birth wife's birthday so you can just teach her how to find joy in Jesus? And be like, there you go, baby. You know, congratulations, the cross is enough. <laughs> End of sermon, Right? The cross is enough and she loves Jesus, but she really likes it when the kids and I muddle our way through trying to make a cake and do some other things around her birthday, right? Let's not abuse this text at all. Let's notice that the main issue that Paul has is when he switches to, am I now seeking the approval of man? In that context, this gets lost in English. But if you go back to the original language, you would realize that that verb is only used in terms of seeking approval this one time in the New Testament. The more common way of translating that verb is to talk about it in terms of convincing or persuading. The way we might say it today is stop selling yourself. Right? Stop working so hard to win value and affirmation and celebration. Right? Paul's issue is not that you want to do a good job at work. Paul's issue is that we are willing to make everything else subservient to our desire to win the approval of the crowd, including our relationship with Jesus, which is why I'd say at the end of the day, this gets at our core motivation, right? It gets at what motivates us and moves us through the day because when it comes to 
selling ourselves, when it comes to compromising ourselves in the name of winning the approval of others, when it comes to trading things that we really value for things that we don't really value, when that's in the conversation, usually one of the first things that goes is our relationship with God, right? We make our relationship with God subservient to everything else. So we hold moral convictions but we only express them when it's culturally appropriate and it's culturally comfortable, right? We have a fidelity to God and the gospel, but we're not going to let it push into the boundaries of our workplace. We're willing to make our own thoughts, our own desires, our own preferences, our own needs, our own emotions, our own interests, all of that secondary to just keeping everybody in the family happy at Thanksgiving. Right? Everything becomes negotiable in our life. That's what Paul's after. Paul is after the question of how much are you willing to make negotiable to win the approval of other people? Or are there certain things that are off limits? Because you say, look, the approval of God matters more to me than the approval of people does. Right? So I want us to be thinking deeply about this. I want us to be thinking about the core motivations of our heart. At the same time, we also need to realize that this has tremendous implications on our own spiritual growth, right? This whole idea of being a people pleaser impacts our spiritual growth. If you were to read Galatians 1, 11 through 22, right? Kind of the next section of scripture that comes right after this, you would realize that Paul um, shares a lot of his autobiography, it's actually the longest autobiographical section of the New Testament. About 20% of Galatians is Paul just sharing his story. And one of the things you realize about Paul, although we've probably never thought about it this way, Paul is what you and I would call today a recovering people pleaser. Where he goes in 11 to 22 is say, look, here's my background. Paul was a guy who was doing incredibly well in Judaism meaning he was highly educated, meaning um, he probably did very well for himself financially. He certainly had social standing. Uh, he certainly had respect in the community. You know, he was not just educated, but he was educated by the best of the rabbis of his day. This was a guy who had the approval of man. Paul was celebrated where he went, Nobody challenged Paul. Everybody thought Paul was a big deal. And then obviously God flips his life upside down on the road to Damascus one day, becomes a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, he loses the approval of everybody who's been in his life up until that point. All the financial privilege is gone. All of the social standing is gone. He's now sort of this despised, traitorous figure, right? All of the sense of ease and comfort is gone. And if you go read in Philippians, Paul says it's fine by him. He considers it all uh, rubbish compared to the glory of knowing Christ. So there's a pivot in his life where he says, look, I'm no longer motivated by the approval of people. I'm now motivated by the approval of God. And that shift I don't care about the approval of people. I'm not gonna compromise myself. I'm not gonna negotiate for the approval of people. That shift frees Paul up to have an incredible impact for the sake 
of the gospel, right? I, I want, let's think about this together for a minute. When we think about our relationship with Jesus, one of the things that should be deeply true for all of us is that we should have a sense that God is actively at work in our lives and God is actually changing some things in our lives, right? To be a follower of Jesus, we should never be lingering in spiritual neutral, right? There may be seasons where God feels distant. There may be seasons where we struggle to understand the work that God is doing in our lives. There may be seasons where we hold on to the belief that God is at work, even though it feels like things are falling apart. But certainly if we look over the trajectory of our relationship with God, there should be a sense that no, he is not only at work in my life, but he is also changing me. Right? One of the worst things that a follower of Jesus can say is, guess what? I'm pretty much the exact same person I was this time last year. Right? I hope we would all be able to point to work that God has done in our lives over the course of the last year. Right? And I don't just mean accomplishments. I don't just mean, hey, you know what, we, we did put that deck on before you know, last fall and that was a good thing. And hey, here was the profit margin at work and here was all that. I mean, when you look into your soul, when I look into my soul, when you look into your marriage, when I look into my marriage, when I look into my relationship with Jesus, we should have a sense that over the course of the last year, you've learned some things. You should have a sense that over the course of the last year, you've adopted some new habits. You see some things differently. And that person that you borderline hated this time last year, you're starting to come around to the idea that they're also made in the image of God. And perhaps the path to freedom for you would be forgiveness. You're working through some stuff. Paul describes that transformation in Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 to 24. He calls us as followers of Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, right? So there's a lot of old self that we're shedding day by day, month by month, year by year. And there's a lot of new self that we're putting on. And that's good, right? That we should celebrate that. We hold out that promise, right? That's part of what excites us as the community of faith that we are growing and we're changing and we're inviting other people into that growth and we're inviting other people into that transformation, but what also happens as we are on that path of growth and as we are on that path of transformation is that we in some way, shape or form run straight into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, where Peter writes this, with respect to this, meaning the growth and the transformation, with respect to all of the change that God is doing in your life, they meaning people that don't follow Jesus, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, right? New Christians run into this all the time, 
right? Where you started to go to church, you started to follow Jesus, um, you've stepped into this relationship with God, all of a sudden you're growing and changing. You're seeing the world differently. You're spending Friday night differently. God is at work in your life, but there's a whole other group of people that are not all that excited about that. They're the like, what happened to you? Oh, you went off and got Jesus? Oh, I'm sorry, you're better than us now? Oh, you've become one of those holy 9 a.m. church in the park kind of people? Well, if all the other people at church in the park knew what your life looked like not that long ago, they wouldn't be too excited about you being at church in the park. Oh, really? You think your life is gonna count for the glory of God? Let me just remind you of how you were living not that long ago. Right? One of the things that happened in my life when I became a follower of Jesus is I had to let some people go. Not because I didn't love them and not because God didn't love them, but they were way too much of a source of a temptation to lead me back into the old life that I was trying to leave behind. Now, here's the thing. What we tend to do is think, yeah, okay, that's, that's true. You know, college John comes to Christ and doesn't drink as much and his friends get upset and okay, we get that but I've been following Jesus for 30 years and I'm middle age, you know, come on, I'm good. I don't experience much First Peter 4 anymore. And I'm not saying that we should be out seeking rejection. I'm not out saying we should be signing ourselves up for trouble. But maybe if it never feels like we're swimming against the stream, maybe we've just gotten a little complacent in our walk with Jesus. If it never feels like we're pushing back against the current of an extended family that by and large doesn't follow God, maybe we're kind of muting our faith when we hang out around Thanksgiving or Christmas. If it never feels like your values as a Christ follower collide with your values at work, maybe you just work for a church, I don't know. But even then, sometimes, even then it's not a guarantee, right? Or maybe you work for a great organization, but there should be some times where we feel a little 1 Peter 4. And maybe the thing I feel most strongly about for all of us is that we need to be very careful not to allow the approval of people to become a ceiling on the limit of your spiritual growth. Because sometimes what happens is we grow and we change right up until the point where it starts to get uncomfortable, it starts to make certain people uncomfortable, and then we stop, and we pull back. And I don't think we want to settle for that. I think we want to keep growing. We want to find something that enables us to push through that First Peter 4, 4 ceiling and keep growing. Because here's the thing, when we do that and continue our growth and continue our development as followers of Jesus, that's what positions us. That's what frees us to live for the glory of God. So if, first, if Galatians 1.10, Paul does this whole, I'm not compromising, I'm not negotiating for the approval of people, I'm trying to please God with my life. And then he goes through his spiritual autobiography and we realize he's a recovering people pleaser and we realize that it was really when he got over his addiction to people that he was able to flourish and become the man of God that he became. Then we realize that he was also able in Galatians 1.24 to write what I think is one of the most incredible verses in scripture. Paul says of his life, and they glorified God because of me. It's so simple, 
so short that we're tempted to gloss over it. But can you imagine what it would look like if that was the legacy of your life? It almost seems too high to reach for, and it would be apart from the enabling presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Right? But imagine if your legacy, when you retire, imagine if your legacy, when you move out of your neighborhood, imagine if the legacy that you left to your kids and your grandkids is that in the wake of your life, people did not just talk about how ethical you were, although that's a good thing. And people did not just talk about how honest and kind you were, although those are great things. They didn't just talk about, wow, she was so great. Man, he was such a nice guy, as good as those are. Imagine if the legacy of our lives were people who, because of the way they experienced God through us, walked away from their time in our orbit talking about how amazing Jesus was. That's lifting life to a whole different plan, right? That's aiming for something so much higher. Not just he was the best boss I've ever had, she was the best leader I ever served under, but wow, her God must be incredible. If that's what a Jesus follower looks like, sign me up. Man, my time at Grace Hill Church didn't just leave me having a sense of those are some really nice people who care for each other. But wow, isn't Jesus amazing? Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to aim for. Only possible with the enabling spirit of God and only possible if we get over our addiction to people and their approval. Right? Again, we want to do a good job, care for your spouse, love your kids, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, we will never be free to fully live for the glory of God if we're not willing to swim against the cultural norms just a little bit. So at the end of the day, we're fighting for your spiritual growth and your continued transformation to look more and more like Jesus. And at the end of the day, we're fighting for the ability to God, for God to work through our lives to bring about his glory. Of course, the question, the only question is, how do I do that? Right? Most of us walked in here of like, yeah, people pleasing is bad. God pleasing is good. And you're right. Okay, there's a little bit more to it than just asking somebody to put a mask on and it's about my growth and it's about my change. And it's about my core motivation and it's about living for the glory of God. I got it. But here's my problem. How do I do that? I talked about this for a long time, but how do I do it? Well, the answer is both simpler and more profound than you might believe. One day early in Jesus's ministry, he went outside to the Jordan River to his cousin, John, who was baptizing. And he said to John, hey, why don't you baptize me? And John said, are you kidding? I'm not gonna baptize you, right? You're God, right? You should baptize me. And Jesus essentially says, just go along with it, John. We're doing this, you know, because I'm trying to fulfill everything that I would ever ask for people. 
You're right, I don't need to be forgiven of any sin. I haven't committed any sin. I don't need to turn to God. I am God, but I'm just going to ask you to baptize me today. And John's kind of like, all right, fine. You want to get baptized? I'll baptize you. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, you, most of you know the story, right? A dove, the spirit of God descends as a dove. Voice of God thunders from the clouds and God speaks over his son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When you become a follower of Jesus, not only does Jesus forgive you of your sin, not only does Jesus adopt you into the family of God, not only do you become alive forever, but you are also united with Christ. So that in the eyes of God, everything that's true of Jesus is also true of you. Yes, you live in a mortal body, but in the eyes of God, you are alive forever. Yes, we've all sinned probably today. We certainly will all sin before the sun goes down today, but in the eyes of God, you're holy and you're blameless and beyond reproach. And in the eyes of God, you are sitting here as this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That those words are not just a simple affirmation of Jesus spoken 2000 years ago. They are also a statement of identity for you today. And when we learn to see ourselves as beloved children of God, and we become convinced that not because of our merit, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, God is pleased with us. All of a sudden, we don't need to negotiate and compromise and sell to win the approval of others because we know we have the approval of the one that we love most and we have the approval of the one who reigns sovereign over the entire world. Right? At the end of the day, when we learn to live from the approval of God, we no longer need to live for the approval of people. So a lot of what I came here this morning to do was to just look you in the eye in person or on a screen and remind you that you are a beloved child of God. I get it. It's been a brutal six months. It's been so hard. And distance learning starts soon. Yay. And there's been times where we've all looked and said, God, what are you doing? How long, oh Lord? Have you forgotten? Where are you? Can I get a little help? But God has not forgotten you for a second. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows what's happening right now. He knows what this week and this month is gonna bring. He knows your sin. He knows your fault. He knows your failing. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows the fight that you had in the car on your way here this morning. And he loves you so much because he sent his son to die for you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the ways you've messed up. He sees, that's my beloved daughter. And in her, I'm well pleased. So just let that sink in. And all of a sudden, you'll be a little less concerned about what the neighbors think. 
you'll be a little less concerned about whether you're driving the right kind of car. You'll be a little less concerned about the approval of people. Let's pray. Father, I feel like this is one of those talks that are so much easier to understand than it is to live out. Father, in the reality of life, it can become so easy to seek the approval of others because it's so immediate and it's so comfortable and it's so what's expected of us. But God, I pray that you would call us as your people to something bigger and deeper and higher today. I pray that we would make it our ambition to honor you with our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to leave a legacy of people glorifying you. I pray that you would lead us further down that path of growth and transformation than we ever thought possible. I pray, God, that you would use us for your glory. And to do that, God, I, I pray that you would just help us get over our addiction to the applause of people. So do that work in us now. Do that work even as we stand and sing together. We pray in Jesus' name.